everyone, this is Vahid, one of the co-hosts of The False Podcast, where we sit down with the people leading and growing companies in digital health. Today, I'm excited to have Sid Wiswanathan from TruePill as a guest on our show. Sid is co-founder and president of TruePill, a company on a mission to modernize healthcare infrastructure. TruePill is probably best known for its API-driven pharmacy, which is working behind the scenes to enable simplified prescription fulfillment for companies like Hims, GoodRx, Nurex, Levels, and others. Since Sid and his co-founder launched a company in 2016, they've fulfilled more than 5 million prescriptions, hired nearly 500 people, have been doing over 50,000 telehealth visits per week, and have started expanding into other areas where the industry could use a simpler, more efficient approach. Sid, it's great to have you here today. How's it going? Hey, Vahid. Thanks so much for having me today. I'm doing great. You know, I was thinking about it as I was coming on to this podcast. And I don't think I would have had the GMAT score to get into Wharton. So I'm glad that at least uh, you're including me in the podcast. So thank you. A lot of people in the Wharton community have been excited to hear about TruePill and hear from you in particular. So I'm really excited to get this conversation going and learn more about what you're doing. We have this tradition of asking our guests an icebreaker. What did you want to be when you grew up? Oh, that's a good one. Is that what did I want to be or what did my parents want me to be? That's, it could uh, be both. That be a, <laughs> that's, yeah. <laughs> I think for me... It was always wanting to be a, I think, a professional athlete. It was something about professional sports that I was already always inspired by. And then as you grow older, your genetic limitations kick in and it just becomes that sort of a dream. But I think professional sports is one of the only places I look at and I can see what I think is the closest to a meritocracy in our world. And that's something that's I've always been drawn to. And if you if you want to play basketball and you want to play it at the highest level, then it's you can ask a very simple question. It's are you good enough to play in the NBA? And I think we can take that concept and apply it to just about any profession, whether you're a startup founder or you're a student or an artist. I think hopefully everyone has this desire to want to at least perform at the highest level that that's possible for themselves. And, and that's always been something that inspires me even to this day. Awesome. And is being a pro basketball player then completely off the table or are you still doing pickup? Oh, that's definitely off the table. Maybe some pickup, but I'm, I'm, I'm getting old for that too. So uh, we might have to switch to like tennis and golf soon. <laughs> All right. So the first thing we want to really learn about from you today is the origin story. Before we dive into what TruePill is doing today and all the exciting things you have ahead of you, I'd like to learn a little bit more about how you got into this business and what the company does. So starting with your journey, something our listeners might not know is that before TruePill, you actually founded a company called Card Munch which uh, let me know if I'm getting this right, but essentially it seemed like a digital business card app. And after Cardamunch was acquired by LinkedIn, you brought your talents here to healthcare, which is probably the most complicated industry you could have picked. Now, I am grateful. I'm sure many of our peers in the industry are grateful. But why did you come to healthcare? Why make that switch? Yeah, I actually started my career right out of college in healthcare. I had a, a job at Johnson & Johnson, and I was in one of these really unique programs. They were rotational programs that move you around different business units uh, for new college grads. And I had a chance to see different parts of the business right out of school. And I had a lot of fun learning about the industry, but I did notice that a turning point for me was when one of those roles was out in the San Francisco Bay Area. And a lot of my college friends from Carnegie Mellon were in, in various different tech jobs in the space. I noticed a very material difference between healthcare and, and say the tech industry, just the pace, the speed of innovation, it was just a vibe and an energy. And that was something that I was really drawn to. And I decided to make the switch from 
I was originally a mechanical engineer in college and switched my entire career into software and tech. And as you pointed out, started a company, which I eventually sold to LinkedIn. And after spending several years at LinkedIn, I had a chance to go back to the drawing board to think about what I wanted to do next. And by no means was it this like aha moment of, I have to do healthcare or I have to get back into that industry. In fact, it was, it was quite the opposite. I would describe it as very much the serendipitous nature of how things work in Silicon Valley, at least. And I eventually, my co-founder, Omar, who is a pharmacist, and through that introduction and those meetings, I got a chance to spend weeks and then eventually months just asking him so many questions about the healthcare space and specifically the pharmacy. And in that process, we're building that initial chemistry as a founding team. You're learning more about the industry and the problems. And you realize that there's just so much underneath the hood in the pharmacy world that can be done better. And that got us to forming that initial thesis on, yeah, I think healthcare is such a great space to be in right now. And there's no better time to do this. And in Omar and myself, we found two folks that were just really inclined to, to tackle this problem. And you know, reflecting back on that starting moment, it's I think some of the most complex spaces are the most interesting, but you always need that nudge to get over the hump. And for me, uh, that nudge was certainly meeting Omar. For sure. And when you were having some of those initial conversations, was there anything that stuck out to you as being particularly interesting about the pharmacy space? Yeah, when I was looking underneath the hood at the tech stack, I was just so, so shocked at how antiquated it was. And it was this realization that you don't need to be like on the cutting edge of technology. Like you don't need to be this machine learning AI guy or, or girl to come in and really transform the industry. Instead, it was like some of the most basic things, like the concept of an API or a RESTful API were such foreign concepts in healthcare. And so some of the underlying protocols and data standards, they were just so, so old. And it just, for me, it was eye-opening that just basic tech and a basic product mindset on how to consumerize the experience or make it better, like we had seen with just about every other industry we experience with online. I thought that was a unique, unique insight that we stumbled into. There's just so much that we could do. You had mentioned it a little bit earlier, the chemistry you had with your co-founder, Omar. Can you speak a little bit about what you feel made you and Omar such great partners in this company you were forming? I think that conventional wisdom is, is to always know your founder, have a previous relationship with your founder before you decide to, to jump in to do a company together. But with Omar, I had met him and after several months and going through that conversations in, in late 2015 and going into 2016, it became very clear that I think that we would just work well together. And, and you can't simulate everything. You can't simulate that first time you really disagree with each other. And how do you decide to get through that? You just have to go off sort of gut instinct and sort of just the relationship up until that point. But for me, the thing that jumped out was we just had a natural chemistry, just working together. We balanced each other out in different ways. We complemented each other in different skill sets. And I think that's really important in, uh, in any founding team. I always like to say that a good founding team probably has like one or two elements. So the, the first one is, do you have the skill sets between the founding team to build and launch the first version of your product sort of end to end? And are there any major gaps? Because those gaps often are other co-founders that you may need to bring on board. And with Omar and myself, the thing that jumps out to me is we had very strong founder market fit. You'll hear tons of stuff talked about product market fit, but not a whole lot about founder market fit. And when you peel back the layers of TruePill and you have me, a, a software product person, and you have Omar, a pharmacist, you had to do something in the pharmacy space. Otherwise, Omar would get bored and you had to do something in, in tech and product or I'd get bored. And so from that standpoint, the initial thesis of the company 
was very much aligned with our backgrounds. And we were likely two of the best people that you could find to, to work on it. Not that we were better than anyone else, but we might have been that only combination that you could find to put together in a room to spend months and months trying to crack this uh, specific industry. Awesome. And it's great to hear how you two were able to mesh so well on, it seems like both the personal front and then you know, when launching the company, those complementary skill sets. So you know, if we just go back, you have this idea and this problem that you want to address. You found the perfect partner. For our listeners who might be a little bit less familiar with what TruePill does, can you just give a brief overview as to what the company is doing and the first problem you tried to address? Today, TruePill is a digital health platform that combines telehealth, diagnostics, and pharmacy infrastructure to power the future of consumer health. So what does all that mean? When you peel back all the, the components of it, when we got started, we started on just one of those three pillars, pharmacy. By, with Omar's background and where we entered into the space, we had a very simple thesis when we entered the space of what would it look like to build a new type of pharmacy infrastructure, one that was API-driven. And at the time, we would throw out analogies like, think about what Stripe did to the payments industry, or think about what Twilio did to telecom. What would it mean to do that in healthcare? And what would it look like to start specifically in pharmacy? And around that time in 2016, there was a major shift that happened in the market. We started to see this emergence of a brand new type of healthcare model, one where you move to an asynchronous telehealth world, where for those that don't know a lot about telehealth or asynchronous versus synchronous, the shift was this ability to go online, answer a set of questions in a web form, package those answers up, send it to a physician that's licensed in your state. And that physician can look at the answers to those questions questions and make a treatment and diagnosis decision and oftentimes even prescribe medication. And that was a, although it seems small, that was a material shift in telehealth. And I think the second aha moment was this realization that you have to combine this telehealth experience with the pharmacy fulfillment. You can't offer this amazing 10x better telehealth experience on your phone, but then expect your patient to go into a Rite Aid Walgreens CVS for that last part of the experience. And so that was the two things that opened up our eyes to one of our early customers that we worked with in the birth control space, Nurex, realizing that while they're working tirelessly to scale their telehealth operations and get to all 50 states, they weren't as much focused on the pharmacy side. And if there existed pharmacy infrastructure that you could just plug into like an API, we believed very strongly that they would use it. And so that was the bet that we made in the earliest days of building our first version of our pharmacy API. And following two, two and a half years, we were really rewarded and got lucky that that model proliferated in the market. We saw that expansion into many other companies and dozens of brands doing a similar model and all turning to TruePill for that very specific need of, of pharmacy fulfillment. Got it. And you know, before you provided this amazing, simple solution, what were companies doing instead then? What was the approach to fulfillment they had to go through? Seems like it was a lot more cumbersome than what you were able to provide. We saw all sorts of models. I think the worst was trying to get your patient out of the online experience and have to go into the online world, the offline to online switch and go into a physical Rite Aid, Walgreens, or CVS, which completely disrupts that experience of being able to sit on your couch and consult with a physician and answer a set of questions. I think the second model that we saw most commonly was picking up the phone and calling independent mom and pop pharmacies in different states and, and trying to chain together. You're, you're trying to make it work whatever way you can to provide that end-to-end -end experience. And inherently, partnering with independent pharmacies in, in the states that you're operating in, 
that can get you off the ground. But when you think about hitting critical mass and thinking about scaling, that's where we saw a huge gap in the market that we were convinced we had to solve. Wow. It's funny because when you talk to people who are telling you about how things actually work or how they actually used to work in healthcare, it's always a shock to people, especially these days when everything's fairly automated and with the click of a button, everything is just seamless. It's kind of unfortunate, but also a great opportunity to look at all the different areas of healthcare where things aren't as seamless as you'd hope they'd be. And then a company like TruePill comes in and makes it a lot better. Yeah, totally. I think that's you're speaking to the the overall macro trend of of this like consumerization shift. You, You said it perfectly. Like we open up our phone and we can get anything delivered to us in an hour or the following morning. And I think now consumers are not only expecting it, but they're starting to demand that same type of experience for healthcare. And I think that's great to see consumers driving some of that change, as well as a lot of the incumbents and traditional players also coming around to realize that if they don't adapt and change, then they're not going to meet the needs of, of consumers as we get into this next phase. Definitely. And do you want to talk a lot more about that last topic you just mentioned in a few minutes? But before we go there, I just want to give our listeners a quick snapshot of where the company is today. So in terms of growth, where have you gone today at the end of 2020? So this year, Vahid, we're projecting to do $200 million in revenue. We are a team of roughly about 500 people, and we're spread across seven different pharmacies across the country and one in the UK. And so our footprint has expanded a lot since 2016 as we've continued to grow. We've expanded into telehealth as well as diagnostics with our lab partners and our telehealth partners. And so today we think we have one of the only multi-pronged or complete digital health platforms on the market. And I think that's something that we're really excited about. Just I feel like we're scratching the surface on it today. And we continue to see a lot of different use cases that we didn't actually anticipate when we first launched the business. Definitely. And Clearly, what you're doing has gotten other people excited as well. So for a little bit of background for our listeners, in September of 2020, TruePill just closed its Series C for $75 million. So first off, congratulations on that round. Thank you. Um, You've mentioned in some press releases that the funding is going to be primarily used to build out your at-home testing network with partners. I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit more about the problem with lab testing today and how TruePlus approach is going to be better. Sure. When you look at the concept of a virtual care visit or a telehealth visit, you can break it down into three common outcomes. We all know it from the concept of going to see your doctor in person, or if you've experienced telehealth before, or maybe for the first time in this pandemic in the last nine months, the three most common outcomes are number one, your doctor tells you to seek care at home. Maybe it's rest and recovery drink liquids if you have a cold or a flu, for example, and just rest and and rest it out. The second most common one is is probably writing a prescription and then needing to take medication as a follow-up from that telehealth consult. And I'd say the third most common outcome is a lab test. Oftentimes, you need additional data to diagnose and treat a certain condition. And today, we've seen such a shift in the lab testing space to the, the traditional model of going into a lab to now hundreds of labs that can be done at your home with an at-home lab test. And even more, this world of rapid testing, which is fast evolving in light of COVID and other tailwinds. And so I think that's a unique concept that was really important for us as we decided to enter the diagnostic space. And when you add into the fact that you look at some of the most chronic conditions that plague hundreds of millions of Americans across the country, whether it's diabetes or cholesterol or, or hypertension, for example, 
and you talk to any clinician, a doctor, friend of yours, or any, anyone in the space, they'll tell you very clearly that the missing link from being able to prescribe, say, a cholesterol medication or a statin online would be a lab test. And a lot of providers would be very comfortable with the combination of asking certain clinical questions to the patient combined with a lab test to be able to prescribe a, a statin, for example. And so when you think about unlocking digital health to some of these conditions that affect hundreds of millions of Americans, lab testing is a very, very critical component to that. And when you combine that with telehealth, as well as the pharmacy, we think you have the full platform to service 80 plus percent of healthcare over a virtual setting. Got it. Understood. That's really great to hear how you're really enabling a full end-to-end solution that in terms of not only the drug fulfillment, but what's required before that and kind of stepping more and more upstream. You mentioned earlier, you've even gone to telehealth now. So it seems like a really complete package. So does this work the same way then as the prescription fulfillment product, the APIs? It's very similar. And everything we do has this concept of being unified under our technology APIs. So you should be able to make an API called access medication or access a lab test. The primary difference I would point out is that today we don't own the underlying lab. We work with several lab partners across the country. And so you might make an API call into the Truepill infrastructure saying, I'm requesting an A1C lab test. That lab test would go out to the patient, get mailed to their home. They would take the blood sample and they'd mail it back into a third-party lab. Then through integrations that we have behind the scenes between those lab partners, we collect that data, pass it back to the telehealth provider, and then eventually make its way to the patient for any necessary follow-up. So I would say that's the, the primary difference is that it's not our own labs, but everything we do is tied together with the technology, as well as this concept of white labeling the actual physical product. That's something that's been core to our platform approach, that everything we do is white labeled. And many times you might experience a consumer health offering and not even realize TruePill is the partner behind the scenes. And I think that's very intentional. And it's, it's, it speaks to the platform purpose of our company to help our customers succeed in their consumer experiences. It's interesting because when I was first looking into TruePill, what I found was so many companies are using your services, using your API, and you are behind the scenes in all this, not necessarily you know, the obvious player in you know, everything that's going on. You mentioned that's important to TruePill to be that white label partner, let the companies you know, kind of take control from there. But why has that been so core to your business model? When you look at every industry since the dawn of the internet, I think that you can point to a time where every industry went through its own consumerization shift. And in those consumerization shifts, I think you will see very large platform companies that got built along the ways. And we can take, say, the the two most recent shifts that I can think of. One was the shift into this e-commerce world. And you can look at platform companies like a Shopify or a payments provider like Stripe, and you can say that yeah, this was a clear consumer shift, but these platform companies have emerged as really the defining platforms of their respective industries. And then you look more recently to the uproar or uprise in uh, the fintech world and, and sort of the consumerization of that model and a company like Plaid emerging as the de facto infrastructure player to move money around. And you look at these data points from recent shifts in, in consumerization and you ask this question of, if we're in this consumer shift right now in healthcare, who's building that platform equivalent company? Who's building to that vision? And that's what really excites us is, is certainly looking at some of these role model companies that, that we aspire to grow into and become someday. I think it's very clear that every industry has had 
one of these critical shifts and there's been a great platform business that's built on top of it. And doing so, you get to power everything in the industry as opposed to having to pick specific areas or verticals to go after. That's a great point. Just looking at some of your past communications, one thing you once said is, and I quote, if I were to summarize, the biggest aha moment for us 12 to 18 months ago was, yes, our infrastructure has served some of these direct-to-consumer companies that we've come to know, but our core infrastructure and the way we've built things also applies to traditional healthcare. So to your earlier point, there is that platform that can expand to other areas of healthcare and really enable them to become more efficient and more consumer-focused, as you just mentioned. One thing I want to follow up on there is, what are some of those other traditional areas of healthcare that you and your company are most excited about? The one we're most excited about today is definitely the the payer and health plan audience. They have emerging problems and needs that they look very similar to the direct-to-consumer health brands we work with, but they're different in many ways as well. And when you think about where a majority of health experiences or health offerings are done, they're still today primarily done through your, your health plan design or your benefit design. Yes, there's many reasons why consumers will go out of their benefit design to seek certain consumer experiences that they want and they're looking for. But at the same time, a large majority of it still runs through your health plan. And we're at this interesting time in, in, in this shift to consumer-driven healthcare where payers and health plans are starting to realize a couple things. I think number one is that if they don't consumerize their experiences right now, then their businesses face significant threats from all the different players that are unbundling healthcare in, in many different aspects, whether it's going into a pharmacy and using a GoodRx coupon to find a discount on your prescription product, or deciding to use a great service like a Hims and Hers to get a men's health product, for example. And those are areas where the health plan is certainly watching it and understanding that, yes, we understand when consumers are going to go to the experiences that they're looking for. But then for them, it's how do they build some of these experiences on the plan design? How do they bring some of these, at least some of the experiences that make sense back in-house that they are in control of empowering? And I think they're turning to us in, in a great way to try to power some of those experiences using our platform products to piece together these experiences. Are you able to speak at all to what some of those maybe most interesting experiences are for health plans in order to bring those offerings more efficiently to their members? Yeah, sure. I think I can share a little bit about the flagship program that we launched this year with the sure. United Healthcare Group. And we launched a program designed for flu COVID for senior citizens that were above the age of 65. And the premise or the problem statement here was that we're about to enter, or we're in the midst of our first flu season ever in the, in the face of a global pandemic. And so you're going to have our most at-risk patients in this country today get symptoms this flu season, and they're not going to know what to do. Do they have COVID? Do they have the flu? How do they deal with it? And so the, the design of this program was how do you get a flu COVID kit into a patient's home to address some of these symptoms at the earliest onset? And so the flow goes where a patient starts on a website where they answer a few questions about their health history. That information is then sent to a true pill provider in our network who then decides whether that patient is safe to receive the flu COVID kit. If they're safe to receive it, the doctor prescribes a flu medication, in this case, generic Tamiflu, and that order comes into the Truepill infrastructure. We then package this kit, which includes a Bluetooth thermometer, which is sending data back to us, a COVID test, and the generic flu medication. And all this stuff arrives at the patient's home with the intent that when you experience symptoms this flu season, 
you pick up the phone and call the phone number that's provided on the packaging to reach one of our doctors in real time. And that doctor is then going to guide you through, hey, I think you should take the COVID test, or I think you should take the flu medication right now, or maybe even intervene and say, I think you should go to, the, to urgent care based on what I'm hearing or what I'm seeing. And so that's the nature of the end-to-end types of programs that we can power from start to finish. And we love that one because it touches every part of our infrastructure from the doctor visit to the diagnostics component to the prescription medication. And so that's one that we are really proud of that we launched earlier this year, and hopefully we'll continue to expand and scale it. But there are 400,000 at-risk senior citizens that are experiencing this product right now as we speak. That's amazing. And I love that example as well, because when a lot of people start thinking about how they can innovate in healthcare, digital health, there's this kind of notion that it's the new innovative companies and then it's incumbents, the big payers. And what you're just highlighting right now gives a great example of how these two don't have to be mutually exclusive, how there can be room for partnership, which I think is really powerful, especially considering in the US how big of a footprint these incumbents do have and how important they are to care today. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I think there's, during my times at LinkedIn, going through that business's hyper growth phase, I got to see firsthand the power of network effects and how strong that is as a business model on the moat. And in healthcare, I'm not sure if we have the same types of network effects. There are very powerful moats, don't get me wrong, when you look at PBM businesses and, and different parts of the stack, extremely competitive moats. But there isn't this same concept of, of network effects or a winner-takes-all type of dynamic that exists in healthcare. And I think that speaks to your point on there's a lot of room for innovation through partnership. And that's where I think TruePill can hopefully emerge as that leading digital health platform to help really anyone, anyone from the health plan payer space to looking at this next chapter of our business, working directly with employers and maybe even thinking about manufacturers that have different problems that they're trying to solve for their specific drug. So I think that's something we've always believed is this idea that if you build the right, call it platform infrastructure, you don't need to know all the use cases. You just need to be ready to adapt to solve the use cases that you will see in the market. And that's what drives us, I think, every day to try to build that flexible and right infrastructure. For sure. And you just brought up your experience with LinkedIn, which got me just thinking about your overall experiences today more broadly. So if you think about you know, what you learned prior to your life at TruePill and then everything you've been able to accomplish at TruePill in terms of the company's growth and your own leadership, how do you feel this has prepared you and the organization for the next chapter? Like internally and strategically, how has this all prepared TruePill for that next big step? I think it's helped us reinforce that the platform strategy is the winning one. And In the earliest days of the business, you never know. You're always wondering, well, should we have done something direct-to-consumer? Are the direct-to-consumer businesses more valuable? Are they going to be more successful? And you're always going to be second-guessing and wondering whether you picked right. And as we've continued to grow and evolve and see the number of use cases continue to rapidly expand and come from areas that we didn't even expect from a different parts of the healthcare ecosystem and healthcare stack, that's given us a renewed sense of confidence. And I think the second wave is we're in the midst of a global pandemic today. And that's created a lot of shifts in the market where everyone has been forced to almost adopt telehealth overnight over the last nine months. And if you didn't, then your business would have been faced with tremendous challenges trying to adapt to the evolving needs of consumers. And so I think those two have sort of created this perfect storm moment in healthcare where 
it's the right time to be building the type of company we are. And we're excited about the prospects of the future. And I think we're well positioned sort of digging into the platform roots of the company. Uh, now's the best time ever to try to double down on that or triple down on that. Definitely. And that actually kind of brings me to the next topic I want to discuss today. You know, you're talking about the platform and you know, behind the platform is also a lot of data. And I, I think there's another interesting trend happening in healthcare where we're finally starting to see companies address the data problem. If we look at API simplification and tech, that's starting to also come to healthcare now. It's been accelerating innovation and plug and play solutions. So if we look at some examples, you know, Ribbon Health has been doing this with provider data. Particle has been doing this with patient records and TruePill has started doing this with pharmacy and now has expanded to other areas as well. What's your take on what's going on with these new data approaches in healthcare? You know, the APIs, the data gathering, what's happening in the space? I think the concept of an API is an extremely powerful one. If you think about it, it is very simply defined as the transfer of data between one party another or one point to another. And when you unravel that and look at the underlying pieces of it, I think from the Truepill standpoint, what we've realized for our business, which is maybe different from a ribbon and particle, is the API is a means to an end for us. In other words, for us, the core business or the core value prop that our customers need is this idea of they need to access a lab test. They need to access a doctor visit, or they need to move medication from point A to point B. And in response to that, the only way we know how to do that in a scalable manner that can be standardized or normalized across every stakeholder in the industry is through this concept of an API. And so we respond with, cool, you want a doctor visit? Here's how you can call that using our API infrastructure. Along the way, yes, you do collect a ton of data that's valuable that can be looked at more retroactively or even forward-looking to think about how this fits into the health plan customer, for example. If you even take a zoomed-out version of a health plan, these are complex actuarial businesses that are doing modeling on making sure the costs of caring for patients is less than the cost they collect for or the payments they collect from their premium. And I think that that's just something that we've always embraced as a company is just making sure we combine the technology side of the APIs and the data along with the physical of a physical lab test or a doctor visit. And I think that might be a little different than a ribbon or a particle who have built phenomenal businesses on just the API and data layer alone. And I think there's tremendous value as long as you anchor it on this fact that solve a problem that your customer cannot live without. And for us, it wasn't the API. It was, in fact, I need medication moved from point A to point B. And it just turned out or happened to be that an API was the best way to deliver that solution. And you know, one thing we've seen in the tech industry, for instance, is that when consumer-conscious APIs came to be, that there was kind of a new floodgate of applications, right? Where suddenly developers were able to create new things that really just helped people in their day-to-day lives. And obviously, healthcare is a little bit different. You could argue it's very different. <laughs> but do you get the sense that based on some of the stuff that you've been able to do at TruePill and create these APIs that are addressing that fundamental problem, that key challenge that people have been having, that now we can start to expect seeing maybe new companies with this new technology that you've created enter the space and create new solutions for customers. Do you have any sense of maybe you know, where innovation could occur now that you have a solution like TruePill available? It's coming from so many different places. There's no shortage of new types of models and consumer health experiences that we're seeing. And I think in the same way that 
All of us today have used a new consumer fintech application, whether it's to manage our stock portfolio or move money from our bank account into a different product, for example. And we talked earlier about the underlying infrastructure being plaid. Today, I think you're seeing the same story unravel in healthcare. And I think that's super exciting for us in terms of where we sit in the market today. And that's something that we're looking forward to. At the same time, we're, we referenced this even earlier, I think we're still in the early chapter. It's We don't know all the use cases that are going to be built. We're excited and encouraged by the things that we get to see literally every day or every week that are emerging. At the same time, we're positioning our business to work with some of the incumbents, some of the largest players in the healthcare market. And so as a company, as we continue to scale, we're extremely bullish on the direct-to-consumer healthcare companies that are emerging and continuing to scale. And that was and continues to be the bread and butter of our business, but also kind of growing up to service some of the needs of the largest health plan payer customers, as well as drug manufacturers, whose problems are a little bit different than the innovative upstart healthcare consumer companies. Right. And it's great that Triple does have such a fantastic track record in this area because already for so many companies, you've been able to help enable them do what they're trying to do in terms of helping patients and helping just improve the system. So really excited to see what's going to come next. The last topic I want to discuss today is just still thinking about the future of data and healthcare. Another player that I want to talk about is big tech. And especially within pharmacy, the elephant in the room is going to be Amazon. So not too long ago, Amazon announced that they finally launched Amazon Pharmacy. And although it hasn't been around for that long, I just want to get your take if you have any predictions as to how this might do and how successful you think Amazon's new offering could be. We hope that Amazon Pharmacy is very successful in the market because it signals that consumers are finally demanding that experience. If we describe the world of like, you open your phone, you order something and you get it the next day. Well, who are we talking about here? We're talking about Amazon Prime. And when you combine the network of Amazon Prime that exists in the market today and combine that with pharmacy, we think they're going to be tremendously successful. And overall, that is a great trend and shift in the market because when you get back to that core nugget of what we talked about earlier, that's still a large part of your health plan is done through your beneficiary, your health plan benefit design rather. It's still really important to think about how to consumerize every other part of the healthcare experience. So sure, you might use Amazon Pharmacy as your consumer pharmacy, but you may use a mental health offering in the market like a cerebral, and that has an end-to-end prescription component that will give you the online telehealth consult, the follow-up treatment and care that you need, as well as the medication. And so I think there's going to be this emergence of several different models in the market. And I think the most exciting thing is maybe for the first time really ever in history that the consumer is in the best position to win, that they're going to be getting the experiences that they've looked for and desired in healthcare. And I think it's going to be great to sort of disrupt and further push us into this consumer health world. The second thing I'd add there is you ask big tech. And, and so when you, when you talk about big tech, you have to factor in some of the other players like a Google, for example. And I think there's just so many interesting things across all of big tech. But if I were to think about an example at Google, for example, I forgot the, the actual stat, but there was a staggering stat that I saw maybe a year or two ago on the number of searches in Google that were healthcare related. It was a eye-popping stat. And today, in fact, if you go into your browser today or a mobile device and you search for something like PTSD or depression, you will see right below the fold a specific content block that's designed specifically for that search. And I think the term I've heard used in the industry is maybe like a screener search or screener block 
or content block. And in there, there's this really unique button that says, take a self-assessment. And when you look at that button, I see that as a jumping off point to, in the future, telehealth, in the future, combining pharmacy delivery and doing everything end to end. And if you think about the most top of funnel acquisition source that exists online today, it is a Google search. And so that's really exciting to see some of the things that the team is doing over there. And I think there'll be a lot of tie-ins to telehealth and digital health services that get layered on top of something like a search query. Exactly. And Google in particular is an interesting example because it probably is the most powerful front door that we have today when we are trying to address any concern we have, you know, that quick Google search. Do you have a take on how companies could, or even maybe TruePill could integrate and work with these organizations to help kind of build out their healthcare offering? Because, you know, they are extremely good at what they do, but they might be a little bit less experienced in the healthcare space. Yeah, I think that's the vision of our platform is is try to abstract that complexity away from, say, a tech giant or a tech business. There's so much regulatory, there's so much compliance, there's so many complexities in our business operating in all 50 states that if that's not your core business, if that's not your core business that you want to get into, then that's where we exist as a company to try to solve that. We give you a tech layer, we give you an interface so that you can focus on what you're really good at and your core DNA and let us deal with the rest. And I think you don't need to, you need to certainly understand the nuances in healthcare, understand what it means to provide that end-to-end experience, but really also take a step back and, and say, even, even ourselves at TruePill, taking a backseat to the clinicians and the decisions that they're making in terms of treating patients, it's ultimately the physician's decision on how to treat that patient. We just are providing that infrastructure and tools to make that accessible to millions of Americans. It is really interesting. One thing that I sometimes wonder, and it'd be interesting to get your take on it, is while these big tech players are really bringing new services to millions of people who could potentially benefit from them, there is a concern that if it's not done right, it could scare people in regards to having that more virtual or digital health experience. Do you have a thought on that in terms of is there a real concern or should we be worried that tech might not get this right? And if so, what this could mean for the industry? Or I guess, what are your expectations there? Yeah, I think this is an industry that you have to enter with that, that compliance mindset or that, that bit of caution to protect the, the consumer at all costs. It's not like other tech industries where you've heard like the Facebook mindset of move fast and break things. Well, in healthcare, you can't take that mindset because there are specific patient lives at stake here if you make the wrong clinical decision or the wrong medication goes into a patient's home. And there are catastrophic outcomes that happen when you make those mistakes that you can't step back and say, oops, I shipped the wrong thing to production. That's just not acceptable in in healthcare when patients' lives are at stake. So I do think it takes a a little bit of a, a different approach than the traditional move as fast as you possibly can tech mindset that I think a lot of founders enter every space thinking about. You do have to think about how to design experiences that are safe and protect that patient. And for us, we try to create this culture where you can build freely and and build without fear of making a clinical mistake because we have so many checkpoints along the way. Between a prescription being written to getting out the door from one of our pharmacies, there are dozens of checkpoints that are both tech-driven as well as human. There is a reason why pharmacists exist in our healthcare system today to ensure that the patient is getting the right medication and that it's okay for them to take it. 
And I think leveraging that physical infrastructure, combining it with the tech, hopefully that guides you in the right direction to, to build with the patient's safety in mind and well-being. Yeah, and building on that point, many of our listeners are individuals who are interested in entrepreneurship and healthcare and are interested in bringing those new innovative solutions um, fairly quickly. And to your earlier point, there is a danger in breaking things. You don't want to be doing that in healthcare. So just kind of building on maybe your experience and what you've learned doing this, what's your biggest piece of advice for people who want to start their own entrepreneurial journeys in this industry? I think this is the best time ever to be in healthcare. And so if you've ever had this interest of, of doing something in healthcare tech or jumping into this industry, if you believe that the most like volatile times in history, especially going through a pandemic right now, these are often the best times to start companies, the best times to start to see things shift. And right now we're all going through across many industries, not just healthcare, this problem statement of what is the new normal going to look like post-pandemic? If you believe that the world is just going to magically bounce back to what it was in, in January of last year, then you're probably missing something or you're probably misguided. And I think that every industry is going to be disrupted and changed and it's more centrally in healthcare, which makes it the best time to join. And so if you think that you can solve a consumer problem, now is the time where I think consumers are more empowered than ever. And a lot of times the pieces to connect all the dots, yes, there's a physical component of healthcare that you need to build, but Oftentimes, the digital components are similar to anything we've seen in any other industry, like building an e-commerce storefront. It's something that a lot of people can build in healthcare, and you don't need, like I mentioned, any specialized tech skill set. It is more generalized web, mobile product flows. And so if you're a good product person or a good engineer and had a desire to go into healthcare, uh, now is the time to come in. Definitely. And yeah, even I, I think your own origin story is... the perfect example for this, where you, know, you had that tech interest and your co-founder was coming from a pharmacy space, that synergy really enables something amazing to come out of it. So, Yeah, well, I'm, I'm certainly biased. I'm addicted to healthcare now, and I hope that <laughs> I'm lucky enough to spend the rest of my life in healthcare because I just think there's so many problems that you can tackle. And I think that's what keeps us motivated every day. It's there will be certainly times if you enter this space, I always like to give the disclaimer that you're going to be frustrated. You're going to see things that don't make sense in terms of why things operate that way. You're going to find so many different stakeholders with misaligned incentives. And you're going to wonder, why is my product not succeeding? Or I have the best product. Why is it not working? And this is an industry more than anything else where the go-to-market playbook and the go-to-market strategy on how you navigate these complexities and these misaligned incentives is is often more important than the product. So I always like to give that disclaimer of if you can crack through that and that sounds like an exciting both strategy, business, and a product problem that you want to solve, then there's no better industry than healthcare to, to take a shot in. So it's something that I hopefully can spend a very, very long time on. And I encourage everyone else uh, that's been in the tech industry to think about making that shift over to TruePill and, or not TruePill, sorry, overall healthcare, but <laughs> there's a Freudian slip. But if you, yeah, if you're, if you're ever interested in TruePill as well, certainly come talk to us as well. But I always advocate for, it's a great time to join healthcare or start something. And Freudian slip or not, we can talk about that topic a little bit more. I know our listeners are probably super excited about TruePill now after hearing you talk about the company and everything that you've been doing and are planning on doing in the future. Question one is, are you hiring? And question two is, what do you think MBAs could be most helpful for? 
We are. We are certainly hiring. We're certainly hiring as fast as we possibly can, probably at a pace that we haven't done before. And so we have over 50 roles open. So I'd encourage if anyone is interested in healthcare and wants to see what a digital health or healthcare tech company looks like from the insides, I, I certainly encourage you to, to apply and or come chat with us. And from an MBA standpoint, there's several roles. I think that MBAs, what we found are inherently they're very strong generalists. They can solve multiple problems. They come from very diverse backgrounds as well. And those backgrounds tend to do very well in a startup where you have to wear multiple hats in the early stages of a company. And so there's roles all across the company from finance to business operations to product where an MBA is, is certainly a good fit for that. It's awesome. It's really exciting here. And I, I know many of my classmates are <laughs> going to be thrilled to hear them. You're probably going to get a lot of emails very soon. Well, I would uh, tell your classmates to also go start something. Like if you, if you have a pitch that or an idea that you've been noodling on, that's probably the best way to get in touch with me. In fact, is shoot me that line, shoot me that one page around what that product is. I love going back and forth on different product problems or business ideas in, in the healthcare space. And so I certainly would encourage and welcome that as well. That's amazing. And even I think this podcast itself is a testament to that. Sid, I know we're wrapping up on our time today. I just want to thank you one last time for talking to us today. It's been amazing just hearing about your story and everything that you've been doing at Truefill. Thanks again. It's been great. Thanks so much, Vahid. I had a great time. This was a lot of fun. And thanks to our listeners for joining us on this latest episode. I also want to let you all know that tickets are now on sale for the 27th Annual Wharton Healthcare Conference on February 18th to 19th. Join a conversation on our industry's most pressing issues around innovation, adoption, and social inequities. Visit whcbc.org for more information. Hope to see you all there.